I'd love it if you have a Bible, if you turn um, to the back of the Bible uh, to a book called Romans. And uh, you'll get to Romans, it's in the New Testament, and uh, if you cut the Bible in half and turn right about an inch, you'll get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the, the eyewitnesses around Jesus. And eventually you'll come to the book of Romans. It's written by a guy called Paul, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Don't, don't worry if you've not got a Bible, you're not used to the Bible, it'll eventually come up on the screen. We, we, we're coming to the climax, this is the end of a series of talks that we've called Detox. And I think it's a really uh, a foundational and important series of talks, particularly at the beginning of the year. How many of you this year have tried at the start of the year to do some kind of detox or some kind of New Year's resolution or some kind of diet or some kind of fitness regime or some kind of new start? Sh- show me. How many of you are never going to put your hand up, whatever I s- you know, just, just a few of you, but there, there are many sad shadows like me that, that think that new year means a new start, a fresh beginning. And detox is really important because we live in a world that's poisonous to us. You ever notice that? We live in a world that's actually poisonous to human beings. It's poisonous to human beings. It's poisonous to human life. We have to detox. The, the word detox means remove poison. And we detox because the stuff that we eat is actually poisonous to us most of the time. The stuff that we drink, the stuff we put on our skin is actually relatively poisonous to us. It's not good for our bodies. And most of us know that we put things in us that's not good for us. But how many of us also know that some of the things that are spoken over us are not good for us? That some of the things we watch on social media, some of the things that we listen to are actually fundamentally not good for us. They wash us and we need to cleanse ourselves and detox and at least we need to call those things out because they oppose us in becoming fully human, becoming fully the people that we're supposed to be. And so over the last few weeks we've taken, we did a whole sermon on your body. How, How many were here for that sermon? How awkward was that sermon? It was kind of weird, you know, we've got to talk about our bodies and look at our bodies. And, and, and we, because actually we, we have to talk about what we put in our bodies and what we put on our bodies. And we don't talk about that kind of thing in church enough. And then we talked about words that are spoken over us and we talked about our hearts. But I want to finish today by talking about our minds, about detoxing our minds. About, your brain is an incredible thing. Let me, let me try an exercise with you. Close your eyes for a second. You all engage with this. Don't worry, I'm not going to steal anything from you. Um, I'd like you to think of a number between 1 and 10. Now, I'd like you to take that number and multiply it by 9. You may need to change the original number, some of you <laughs> art students. <laughs> uh, you got, so you multiply that number by 9. Now, you have a two-figure number. Would you add those two figures together? Now would you take away five? Stay with me. Now here's where it gets complex. If A equals one, B equals two, C equals three, etc. Think of a country that begins with the letter that you have. Take the second letter of that country. Think of an animal that begins with that letter. Now think of the color of that animal and put your hand up if you have a gray elephant from Denmark. (laughs) Yes. It's not actually that clever. Uh, (coughs) 
And now, you know, I did, did that this morning. And then people spent the next 10 minutes saying, this is how we did it. Did you not know? It's very simple. It's just the number nine. It's how it works and operates. And you art students and social scientists are going, that's amazing. How does that work? It's just incredible. Here's the thing. <laughs> your mind, your brain is incredible. But your brain is also vulnerable to suggestion. Your mind is also incredibly vulnerable to suggestion. And today I want to talk about how we engage the mind. Because Jesus isn't just interested in your heart. Although most of the songs we sing are about us giving our hearts to God and God dealing with our hearts. But actually, Jesus is incredibly interested in the whole of you. He's incredibly interested in your mind, what you think about and how you think about it, how you engage the way in which you uh, operate the whole of your body. Here's the thing. Most of us want to change something about us, if we're honest. If we're really honest, we want to change something about us, something about our circumstances, something about the way we look, something about our health, something about our relationships. We want to change something. And most of us realize that for that to happen, we need to detox from some stuff. We need to let go of some stuff. We need to lose some stuff. Maybe we need to lose some relationships. And so we want to change. But what we quickly understand is that the change that we experience is so often temporary. Isn't it? That's why there are so many fatty diets out there. And it's deeply frustrating because self-will and willpower is overrated. And about 8.30 p.m. on February the 2nd is when you cave in and you give up. You know, you were going to run every day of the year. You were going to read your Bible every day of the year. Everything was going to change for you. You were going to be nice to people for once. And, 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 and then, uh, you know, just stuff it. And you cave and you give in. Here's the thing. Change is great, but transformation is better. Change is great, but transformation is better. Transformation is always permanent, but change is so very temporary. Change, change, you see, is, is often about the modification of behavior. I'm going to eat less, shout less, run more, eat less, love more, whatever it is. You're going to modify your behavior and it's all going to work for you. But transformation starts with a realignment of belief. I'm going to think differently. And then it flows into a modification of attitude. And then it results in redemptive action. You start to think differently. And then you start to have a different attitude in your life. And then you start to act differently. And that change becomes something that starts off as a discipline, becomes a habit, and then becomes a lifestyle for you. Change is good. But transformation is better. Let me try this. In, the difference is this. In, in, in 2018, I could say, I'm going to start driving the speed limit. <laughs> try and start driving the speed limit. And I'm definitely going to try and put my phone in the glove compartment so I'm not tempted in any way, shape, or form at any stage, even when I'm stopped at the lights, to look at what someone is trying to buzz me in on. I'm never going to do that, and I wouldn't do that because it's against the law anyway, and I'd be in trouble and get loads of points on my license. I'm not going to do that. I'm sure that's none of you. That would be a good start. But transformation might look like this. In 2018, I'm going to believe that God moves at three miles an hour. Not 300 miles an hour or 3,000 miles an hour, the trans speed I'm trying to live my life. And I'm going to get a better rhythm and pattern in my life. And I'm going to unplug occasionally 
and I'm going to be more present often. I'm going to engage with God as a priority. I'm going to engage with people and be present with them. I'm going to try and be a better dad. I'm going to really try and be a better husband. I'm going to listen more than I speak. Now that would be transformation. And, and, and it would mean the change thing that I wanted to do, not drive so fast and not answer my phone, would actually happen. Because something's happened in what I believe. Something's happened in, in what I've attituded, which isn't a word, but we'll use it. And something's happened in the way that I act. Change is good. Transformation is better. And I think God offers life transformation. Let's check this out. Uh, On the screen is going to come up some verses that we're going to read together from Romans chapter 12. One of Jesus' followers, in fact, he's he's probably the smartest of all Jesus' followers. He he may well be the smartest guy that ever lived. I don't know. One day I'm going to meet him. Um, He's called Paul, and he knows about radical transformation. Because if he was up here telling his story before he got baptized, he would tell you how he actually hated God. He didn't believe in any of it and thought you should persecute it and kill people who believed in God. And then God met with him. And he writes this letter. He writes this letter to the church in the biggest city of the day. And it's like his best effort. It's like Paul's best effort. His best effort at trying to work out systematically who is God And how does a God who is good and very great interact with people who are messed up and broken? And what is this thing that he does with people? And how does he, how did he do it? And why did he send Jesus? And he, he does all this in like, in like 15 chapters of, of, of a book. And, and, and then he writes this because he says, so therefore, because God is so great and God is so good. And God is so loving. He's, he's not what you think he is. He's way better. So, so therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because of who God is, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. In other words, to go all in. If he went all in, you go all in. Holy and pleasing to God. This is, this is what worship is. In other words, worship is not an event that we come to and sing songs about. It's, it's the way in which we posture ourselves with the whole of our life towards a God who's loved us in this way. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now here's the thing. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to attest and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, that all sounds like religious, spiritual language, but it's quite simple. What what Paul is saying is, don't be changed, be transformed. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that you can go beyond just being changed for a season. I'm thinking that the whole of your life can be transformed. I'm thinking you can be the best version of you. I'm thinking that you can be so radically transformed that you look a bit like God and you represent him in this world. The, the word transformation here is the word metamorphosis. It's where we get that word from. And, and it means change from one state to another. It's the, it's the caterpillar, pupus, cocoon, butterfly stuff. Paul is saying, because God is who he is, and because of what God has done, you can experience radical whole life transformation. So the stuff in your life that you're ashamed of, the stuff in your life that debilitates you, the stuff in your life that causes fear to rise, the stuff in your, your life that means you're not free to be who God made you to be can be totally and radically transformed because God is incredibly good and he's incredibly great. 
And it all starts with your brain. Wow. You've got to think differently. You've got to change the way in which you think. Because your brain is a leader. Isn't that true? What you think, you end up doing. And what you do, you end up living. What you think you end up doing and what you do, you end up living. And and, and Paul says, God can radically change the way in which you think so that you can become other than who you are right now. And you can live in a way that actually you want to live. Your brain is a leader. It's incredible. There are literally billions of things that you could possibly be thinking right now. There are millions of things entering people's heads, even in this room right now. And, and, and the greatest brains in the world reckon there are about 60 things that you're thinking in this nanosecond right now. Some of you are thinking, I wish I'd had a coffee before I came in. Some of you are thinking, I wish I didn't have a coffee because I need a pee and I'm in the middle of a row. Some of you are thinking, gosh, that guy moves around quite a bit. Others of you are thinking, the guy next to me didn't deodorize and it's not very good and it's getting hot in here. And some of you are thinking something about whether when he's going to shut up and you, you, now you're back with me right now. And you thought all that stuff and a million other things because your brain is an incredible thing and it's a leader. The truth or belief of your life directs the actions of your life and the actions of your life direct the outcomes of your life. Let's, let's try and do a little bit of popular science for us. I've been doing a lot of research. Here we go. I think most of us have a, a three-pound brain some of you have got larger ones and some of you definitely smaller ones. But um, it's, about, it's about three pounds. That, that kind of structure in your head of computational material that makes us believe what we believe and act the way we act. And, and as far as I understand it, you have this thing. Take your, take your hand for a second. Come on, let's get involved. Um, so this is your brain, all right? And, and your wrist is your brain stem and your thumb Let's say your thumb is your middle brain. Your middle brain is is made up of something called the limbic system. And the limbic system is made up of a number of systems. And basically, it's your emotional brain. So uh, this is what causes your emotions, your feelings, your memories. This is the thing that is provoked to react. So you experience something and your limbic system is provoked to want to react. But, but the thing that controls your limbic system is called the prefrontal cortex. So take your four fingers and wrap them over, over your thumb. And this is like your boss. This is the boss of your life, apart from Jesus. So th- this is the thing that decides whether you're going to react to your emotions, your limbic stuff, your fear, your concerns, your memories, or whether you're going to respond to your emotional stuff, your fears, and your memories. This is the CEO. This is the thing that makes you move. This is the thing that makes you run. This is the thing that makes you hide. This is the thing that makes you curl up. This is the thing that makes you brave. This is the cognitive response to your emotional stuff. Your brain is a leader. This is provoking you, and this is making decisions. Paul wants to say something else. He says, your brain is a leader. It's really, really important what you think. But your brain is also a danger. On, on another occasion, he writes this in, in a letter that he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says this, you're at war. 
Your brain is at war. Your life is at war. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, Paul said, that's, that, I mean, that's complex, but Paul is basically saying, not only is your brain a leader, you have to think differently, but your brain is under attack. And you know that, don't you? You know that, that, that you can't live in this world very long before you begin to be assaulted by different thoughts, news and fake news, social media ideas and, and concepts, and it's coming at you all the time. And what's coming at you is a, um, a, a war for you to believe certain things and think that certain things are normal. And Paul says a lot of that stuff is, is, is not actually truth. It just pre- pretends to be truth. So the war we fight is, is against materialism, which says you, you, you are what you have, what you own, what you look like, what you feel. The war that we have is against individualism, which says that I am totally sufficient in and of, of myself. I don't need to relate to anybody else. I can do my own thing. I'm me, myself, and I in my small corner. I can handle it. No, 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 no. That's nonsense. It just robs you of community. It's a God thing. The, the, the world out there says, says that what's important is, is uh, uh, secularism, but which, which robs us of a desire to know the God that we're created to know. That's why we feel lost and, and empty and, and seeking and searching and as if there is something missing and all these things. But, you know, here's the thing. A stronghold can also be a personal attitude. Worry, I've heard about that a couple of times, it can be a stronghold. can debilitate you, can, can, can prevent you living Anxiety can be a stronghold. Seeking the approval of somebody else can be a stronghold. It can, it can stop you being the person that you're created to be. Fear, guilt, resentment, insecurity, all these things can be battling against your mind to stop you actually being the person that God made you to be. But also, it can be battling so that you react rather than respond. React rather than respond. Here's the thing. You and I are not victims, and we're not passengers. God says, I want to give you the ability to respond to your emotions and your circumstances, not just react to them. In other words, you don't have to be afraid because you feel afraid. I'm going to give you the power to overcome fear. You don't have to respond in a stupid way because you feel in love. I'm going to give you the power to stay true to what you have decided you're going to do. You don't have to do it. In other words, you're more than an animal. You don't just have to respond to your limbic system. You can, you can make some decisions. You can make some decisions. You don't have to drink too much just because everyone else is. You don't have to respond to this. You can make some decisions around this. You, you don't have to take prescription drugs to excess because you feel down. There are other ways of handling this stuff. You, you don't have to just res- respond. No, react. You can respond. Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can think differently and then you can act 
in a way that God's will tells you to react. What would that look like? I don't know. I was trying to work out how, how do I teach this? Well, let me try some things from my life. I, I want a relationship with God this year that's better than the relationship with God I had last year. Because I think it's the most important thing in the world. And so, so I have to take captive a thought. I have to resist the temptation to think that he's too busy to want an intimate relationship with me. I have to take captive the thought that he might be harsh or he's lost his power or it's unsophisticated to believe in him and it's weak to trust him. Because all those things are out there. They're in the airwaves. They're saying, really? You've got a couple of degrees. You're grown up. Why do you need... Why do you need? And, 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 and I have to start to believe that he is so good and he is so great and he loves me more than anyone else loves me and he has a plan for my life that's better than the plan that I currently have for my life and, and, and that it's dynamic. It starts with a dynamic relationship with him and then I have to begin to act according to that belief. In other words, I can't just sit there and go, I believe this stuff. No, I have to get up in the morning and get in his word and start with his word because that's the way I want to posture myself and I have to begin to believe that, that, that worship is not uh, geographical, it's geopersonal in in other words, it's not, worship isn't something that you come to. It's not an event that you come around. It's every moment of every day, me posturing myself towards the goodness of God and saying, God, I want you in my life. I want you in my life. And I have to start befriending the people of God because I know I can't do this alone and I wasn't intended to do it alone. So I have to get around some people and say, do you know what? You need to keep me accountable because I'm not going to do this thing. I'm not going to grow unless I've got you in my life and you need to speak into my life. And then this discipline becomes a habit, becomes a lifestyle and I begin to walk with God because I didn't react I responded I don't know some of you are parents not many of you yet but some of you are I, I, you know I want, I want to provide a great environment for my kids they're nearly growing, they're nearly grown up they're nearly left I do. I just. I, I want them to have a great platform to become better than me. So I. I have to take captive a thought. Here's the thought. The thought is this: It's just impossible today in the world that we live in to have a wholesome and holistic relationship with your kids because life is too busy. I am too busy. There are too many screens and what they're being taught at school is the erosion of family values. So I, I have to take captive that thought and say that's actually nonsense. We can do better than that. And then I have to believe something. I have to believe that the best environment my kids can have growing up is a secure environment where I love their mum really well. And they see that. And I have to find an environment and create an environment where not only do I love her very well and they see it, they know that she's more important actually, but also they know that they're more important than my job. They know that if they really need me, I'm going to be there. I'm not going to be absent dad. And, and then I have to act I have to invest time. I can't just talk the talk. I have to walk the walk. I have to invest time and I have to prioritize it. And there are times when I have to let other people down because this is more important. And they have to see that. And it might cost me in my career, whatever my career is. Or maybe for some of you, the thought is, I want to just become the best version of me possible. And, and if that's going to be the case in 2018, when you come to the end of 2018, if you really have, you know, overdone yourself and become really truly who you are then you're going to have to take captive some thoughts you're going to have to start thinking differently you know that temptation that you have that you never measure up well do you know that one 
Or, or the, maybe, maybe you don't know that one. Or maybe the temptation that, that I have, the inner voice that says something like this. Actually, one day they're going to work out that you're really a bit stupid. Do you ever had that one? One day they're going to work out, they're going to suss you, that you managed to get away with some stuff and you blag some stuff and, and ultimately they're going to work out that actually you're a bit stupid. Somebody is going to expose you. You've got to confront that inner voice because it's not true. It doesn't come from God and it does you no good. Or, or that self-fulfilling prophecy that you play around in your mind that says, I've tried it. I've tried to get fit. I've tried to lose weight. I've tried to be healthy. I've tried to get the best version of me and it never works. And everyone else, it works for everyone else, but it never works for me. No, no. You've got to confront that thought. You are beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made. When God made you, he threw away the mold and said, that's the best version I could ever have created of you. And then you need to start acting differently. I'm going to love this thing. (laughs) I'm going to love this thing. Which means I'm going to sleep properly because it's stupid staying up late and then trying to get up early. That sucks means I'm going to start eating well. I'm going to stop eating so much crap food late at night. It doesn't do any good. I'm going to do a bit of exercise. I may not love it, but I'm going to do it because it's good for my body. I'm going to start believing in who God made me to be. And then I'm going to pull my shoulders back and I'm going to walk into this world. Guys, this is massive. I need to start thinking differently. And you need to detox. Because if you don't think differently, you'll never act differently and you'll never be transformation for this world. And this world is desperately in, this city is desperately in need of people who know who they are, who know who God is, and are willing to bring their best game to this world. See, the pressure of our culture is always squeezing us to conform. It's always squeezing us to conform, tempting us to the limitations of stronghold thinking, and it's robbing us of transformation. And so Paul says really quickly, he says, I want you to think differently about three things. I want you to think differently about yourself. Look at verse 3, if you have your Bibles open. He says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do you know, whenever I used to hear people preach on this, it was always to do me down. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't get ahead of yourself. This is very British. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't have a big dream. Don't get above your station. Don't think of yourself more highly than you, than you ought because that's a bad thing to do. No, I don't think the emphasis is there at all in the original language. The emphasis in the original language is think of yourself with sober judgment. And sober judgment doesn't mean sober judgment. It means just think of yourself realistically. Now let me tell you realistically who you are. You are a son and a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're unique. You were created by him in his image. He loves you passionately. He has an incredible plan for your life. He's put you exactly where he's put you so that you might make a difference in the world. He's given you a dream. He's given you complaints. He's given you gifts and he's given you joys. And the amalgamation of those thoughts can make a radical impact in your world with the people around you. Now, put your shoulders back. Stop thinking small because thinking small will not bless you 
you will never heal anybody else until you receive your healing. You'll never free anyone up until you get free yourself. You know, I would often teach, be others-centered, be others-centered, be others-centered. Absolutely. Absolutely be others-centered. But others-centered always starts with being self-centered. If you don't know who you are, you don't know the power that's in you, you'll never help anybody else. Be self-centered. It's easy to believe you see the lies and labels that, that you've had spoken over you. It's dead easy for you to believe that you are what your mother once said to you in her worst moment. She maybe never meant it, but that's what you carry around with you. It's dead easy to believe what your father did to you in his worst moment. That that makes you who you are. It's easy to believe that you are your bank balance, or you are your educational achievement, or you are your dress size. The Spirit of God says nonsense. You're none of those things. You are who God calls you to be. And he says, you're my son, you're my daughter, you have no limitations apart from the limitations I place over your life. So know who you are, think differently. Stop comparing yourself. Look at verse four, I love this. In verse four, he says, just as each of us is one body with many members and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Guys, you've got particular gifts, particular functions, particular abilities and it's not the same as the person sitting next to you, so get over it. Get over it. Stop comparing yourself. Comparison is the thief of joy. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. Social media is a cancer as well as a blessing. I said this so often because when, you, when you're looking on Instagram, you basically end up judging your worst mess with their best picture. Don't you? Nobody puts something on Instagram that is a sucky picture of them in bad light from the wrong angle. I've got four daughters. I know all about angles. I know where you can take angles. What, up, down, you know, what's going to show your chins and what isn't. And what, I understand all that stuff. But, but social media is, the, is a comparison of two things that you cannot compare because you know your mess, you know your shame, you know, you know the things that you're not proud of and you're always judging that stuff against everyone else's best stuff. And God says, would you stop comparing yourself? It's a waste of time and it's offensive to me because I created you in my image. I gave you a gift. I've given you a calling. I've given you a passion. You are unique. Start running your own race and then run with your dreams. Run with your dreams. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then Paul says, think differently about others. We haven't got any time. But you know what? The world we live in is tempted, tempts me to believe it's all about me. Tempts me to believe that, that, that you know, I've got to do, sort it out myself. I've got to be independent. I've got to run my own life. I've got to you know, make my own decisions. I've got to stand on my own two feet. And the, but the Spirit of God says, well, some of that's true, but ultimately you're created to be in relationship. Your, your this way relationship is intrinsically connected to your these way relationships. If I can't do this, I'm not going to be able to do this. So that's why we do communities, not because we can tell cool stories or because we can organize church really well. It's because you will not make it unless you find other people to make it with you. You, you will not shine unless you find other people to shine with you. So love one another, verse 10. Love one another. Stop competing with one another. It's stupid. 
love one another, contribute to the needs of one another, and do all this because you think differently about God. Do you think differently about God because of the mercies of God? Do you think differently about him? God is not some kind of ogre who's out to get you. He's not some kind of divine traffic God, cop, who's out to give you a sin ticket. He's not some kind of out of date, fuggy, fussy God who you can't relate to because he hangs around in church and plays the organ. He's not some kind of eBay God, you know, that you go to him to get the things you can't get anywhere else. You go to him to get rid of the things you can't get rid of anywhere else. He's, he's not that kind of God. He's not kind of some kind of Star Wars God that's, that's distant and removed and he's out there, some kind of force. He's an intimate, relational father God who is the biggest thing in the universe and the most intimate being who loves you personally. He's a Jesus kind of God. He's the God that these guys have met who changes lives, who brings meaning to life and can help you live life. So take every thought captive. Only God can change your mind. Change is, um, change is good, but transformation is better. Let me give you four thoughts about transformation and then we'll land the plane First thing is this, don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. I mean, we know that's true, don't we? We, we know that we, we change our minds and the next day we think something else. But the problem is, if we react rather than respond, we act as if we believe everything we think. Don't believe everything you think. Weigh it. Think it through. Dethrone your mind. Your, 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 your mind is not God. God is God. Your mind is not smart enough to become the authority of your life because you'll change your mind. And secondly, guard, guard your mind. Protect it. By which I mean, if you just expose your mind to every kind of filth, every kind of pornography, Every kind of trash that comes across your screen. If there is no off switch, then what will happen is you will filter your mind with, with crap and you will become what you watch. You become what you behold. So guard your mind. The, the Apostle Paul says this. I love this. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is, if there is anything worth of praise, think about these things. In other words, if you think about the things that are the things of God, then you become more like God because you're thinking like God. Guard your mind. And then very quickly, grow, grow your mind and stretch your mind. Every day, if you follow Jesus, here's the deal. Every day is a school day. Every day is a school day. You're not supposed to come to Jesus, get baptized in a pool of water, and then flatline through the rest of your life, and then get to heaven and go, hey, Jesus. That's not the deal. The deal is this. I'm supposed to become more like Jesus and more productive for Jesus tomorrow than I was yesterday. That's what's supposed to happen. I'm supposed to learn new things. In fact, the word disciple, which is used often in the Bible, is actually the Greek word methetus. It just means learner. 
I'm learning about God. So read stuff and question stuff and doubt stuff and ask questions. God's big enough to deal with the questions. And then ask God to stretch your mind because he wants to blow your mind. Following Jesus is the biggest adventure that you can ever have. But so many of us as as Christians have this myopic view of God and of our lives that that we have to have certain jobs and we have to dress in certain ways and we have to behave in certain situations and we have to go to certain places and we have to limit our lives. And what seems to happen is that people who don't follow Jesus have more of an adventure. That's nonsense because God is the creator of life and of adventure and he's given you dreams so that you might run with your dreams. So ask God to stretch your mind above and beyond everything that you can ask or imagine. He wants to stretch your mind. And then God wants to heal your mind. There's a a massive epidemic in our world today of mental illness and struggles with the mind and God who is the eternal healer is not just the healer of broken bones and not just the healer of soul disease he's the healer of minds he's the one who wants to begin to deal with anxiety he's the one who wants to deal with patterns of destructive thinking and cycles of destructive thinking and sometimes he wants to do it instantly And sometimes it's a process. That's why in this church we have a counseling service and we have life care. Because sometimes people just need to be listened to. Sometimes you need to sit and talk about why you feel the way you feel. Because you you find it very difficult not to respond, not to react to the things that are happening in your life. Because that happened and this was said and this was done. And you need some help with how I'm going to respond rather than react. And get some process in my life so I might become the best version of me. God, would you heal my mind?